Welcome to the Mining Your Business podcast, a show all about process mining, data science, and advanced business analytics. I'm Patrick. I'm excited because with me today is, as always, Jakub. Howdy, Patrick. And joining us today, the reason why I'm excited is Daniel Jacob Rayner, a business owner, process modeler, and a podcast host. Can't wait. Let's get into it. Hey, process miners. In today's episode, we have invited essentially what is our Australian counterpart in the process mining content world, Daniel Jacob Rayner. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. So, so excited to be part of the show. <laughs> I was thinking about how to introduce you, and I figured out I would share some numbers with the audience. Uh, so, in my eyes, you are the influencer when it comes to the business process. And we will dig into that in a, a lot in our episode today. But before we do, uh, yeah, let's get to the promised numbers. So you have a YouTube channel. Uh, and by the time of this recording, uh, you actually already have 80 episodes. That's 80 episodes with the real live guests uh, on average about 45 minutes, which in total is two and a half days of talking with people about business processes. I mean, <laughs> that is that is absolutely massive. Uh, and uh, you know, I just wanted to say uh, how how great it is that you're doing this and uh, what kind of value you're bringing to the audience. Congratulations Thanks, yeah. on that. It's um, <laughs> I haven't actually um, looked at those numbers, so that's really interesting for me to hear that I've, I've been talking about it for two and a half days. Well, I, I can't <laughs> say I've been talking about it. I, I guess I've been, um, you know, giving a platform to, for my guests to share their knowledge. And if I can throw my two cents in, I will as well. And it is really some platform because it's not only the YouTube channel, but it's also your LinkedIn where you have a massive network of, and again, I will say the number, it's over 16,000 followers. So uh, I think uh, if there is some, uh, I don't want to say Messiah who's spreading the world, but uh, we have this, uh, <laughs> I think our our previous guest coined this uh, world of the Sherpa on the, on the process mining world. Uh, so you are kind of this Sherpa on the BPM world where you are really <laughs> helping people, helping the audience with the, with the topic. So once again, big, uh, big thumbs up for that. And uh, yeah, so how did you get into this field? Because when I was checking on your LinkedIn profile, it didn't really start in, let's say, engineering or business school. And yet here we are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, it's been a bit of a journey. Um, and I guess to, to go back to um, coming out of high school for me. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm in Australia, in Brisbane, Australia, grew up here. Um, when I went to university, um, I actually did a film and TV degree because um, that's something I was really fascinated and interested in. Um, out, coming out of uh, university, I started my own video production company um, because, you know, our lecturers would tell us how hard it was to, um, I guess, make it in the video world. Um, and I kind of came out with this feeling like, well, if there isn't much work out there, I don't want to leave it up to anyone else to pass it to me. If there's work out there, I'm going to go and hunt it down myself. Um, and so that's when I started my own video production company and started generating out my own um, clients and customers and, and working with um, different organizations with their branding and their marketing and, and spreading their message, I guess. Um, and then after that, a few years later, started a virtual reality company um, that goes into many different um, types of spaces, accommodation, real estate, 
uh, construction, residential, commercial, um, creating 3D virtual tours of these spaces. Um, so again, another startup business that I was involved in, and a lot of that was um, generating leads and 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 um, I guess helping these brands or these organisations communicate their space to the world. What what does their space look like? The look and feel of a space. Um, and then I had the opportunity, and my name got put forward through a number of mutual connections um, <laughs> to this um, uh, this organisation, GB Tech, um, which is a German based um, software company um, that were looking to expand globally. Now, GB Tech um, has been around for 16, 17 plus years. Um, and is well known throughout the uh, European market. Um, but over the last few years, they've been looking at expanding internationally. And so, so um, I guess, yeah, through a few, few mutual connections, um, they were looking for an Australian representative. Um, my name got put forward. I, I was actually over in Italy at the time um, in the middle of 2019. I was on a, on a European um, holiday with my family. And... Um, and GB Tech said, well, seeing as you're hours away, um, why not fly up here at the end of your family holiday and, and um, have a chat to the team, um, see, see what we're all about, and, and we'll go from there. Um, so I did that, went up to um, Bochum in Germany, which is where our head office is based for two weeks, um, met the team there, loved the product. Um, I think a, a lot of my world up until then it had been up in it had been in the startup space so starting something from nothing um, on a on a shoestring budget um, and and uh, GB tech with our software solution that that really delves into dives into business process management um, is really for I mean every organization regardless of the size um, if you're delivering value to end consumers or stakeholders, you're following a sequence of steps or a sequence of tasks. So it's not just for like business process management isn't just for big business, but I think what it did open my eyes up to is, you know, when you've got an organization of 10,000, 50,000 people um, that are all doing different tasks, um, some have been in the organization for 10, 20, 30 plus years and they've been doing the same thing over and over again. Um, other people are new to the organization. They're, they're six months in and they're already bringing new and exciting and innovative mm-hmm. ideas. So there's a lot going on in a big organization. And I think um, business process management provides and allows for that transparency um, so that you can um, ultimately bring more value to the organization. Uh, I guess an, an analogy of that is um, I've got a friend of mine. He loves playing golf. He's an account manager and it feels like every second day he's out on, an, on a new golf course <laughs> playing golf. Um, and, and he invited me out um, to play golf um, one day and I don't play golf. Um, so, you know, he was taking an absolute amateur out on the course. Um, and, and before we even uh, teed off, um, I asked him, I said, Dave, um, can you, I, I'm open for suggestions. I'm open for tips. I, I'm open for pointers. Tell me what I need to do um, to be better at golf. And he hadn't even seen me tee off. So he's like, well, Firstly, I need to see what I'm working with here. I need to see what my baseline is because if I don't know what, what, what your current level is at, how can I possibly show you or tell you or coach you how to improve? Um, and so I, you know, I, I teed up the ball, I, I, like I placed it on the tee and, and, I, and I gave it my best swing um, and all I did was just um, dug up a bit of grass and the ball was still left there <laughs> on the tee. I actually didn't even hit the ball at all um, and he's kind of left there 
um, thinking like, right, okay, I, I know what I'm working with now. <laughs> and, um, and so then over the course of the next 18 holes, we went on a journey of him um, helping me to improve my swing. Um, and even though when he was, um, he was coaching me and guiding me and telling me like different, um, different techniques to implement um, and, and different things I need to follow, um, you know, at first it was, it was unusual and it felt a bit strange, these improvements, um, because it's not how I'd always sort of hacked at the ball. Um, there was a little bit more thought going into it and it, and it was a bit foreign to me. And I think, you know, that, that whole analogy just reminds me of business process management where if um, unless you know what the baseline or what your starting level is, how can you possibly improve on that? How can you possibly make changes? Um, but when you're adopting or implementing those changes, you know, sometimes it can be unusual and, and um, unfamiliar to the people whose work you're changing, whose processes you're changing. So anyways, that, that, that's just a, a bit of a story there but um, on what I've been exposed to. But since coming back to Australia after those two weeks in Germany and, and starting the, I guess, APAC arm of GB Tech, um, I, I quickly realised that Australian organisations operate a little bit differently to European organisations and um, I need to understand how business process management is done here. Um, and so that's where I decided to start this podcast series um, because, um, you know, I was having conversations with different people and I was hearing a lot of different challenges and hurdles and people were saying things like, I don't know how to pitch to my senior leadership, um, like pitch the value of BPM. I don't know how to like um, bring the process participants or the process performers on board. I don't know how to do these things. So that was another motivation for the podcast series, Process Pioneers, um, was being able to sit down with BPM professionals, specialists, those that would that are putting BPM into practice day in and day out um, to, to help educate organisations throughout the APAC region but also the world. Um, this is how BPM um, can be done and can be done well, and these are the things you need to con- be consider when um, putting BPM into practice. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess the the podcast series has, um, you know, it's it has gone really well, and I've got you know, as you were saying, eighty episodes, we're up to eighty episodes now, and and that's certainly helping GB Tech and our expansion into this area as well. So, yeah, that's um, that's my journey so far. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, that is so funny because we have you have answered pretty much half of the questions that we had written for, <laughs> for this episode already in that. So let's dive a little bit deeper into, into your podcast. So what, you already answered the question, what's the motivation for starting a podcast? Really just educating people about the things that you're doing. And it is very, um, very funny because we want to kind of do the same thing with um, process mining, right? So we come at it from the, from the same angle. So I wanted to kind of ask you, um, did the lessons you learned at film school help you in any way produce the media that you're currently producing and how? Yeah, definitely. I think um, at film school, um, you learned a lot about creating uh, beautiful imagery and, and, and how do you create excellent pieces of art. Um, I think coming out of film school, what I realized was um, beautiful pieces of art one don't necessarily sell things um like it's there's not a clear um relationship between 
incredibly beautiful and well executed pieces of like video and and mm-hmm. selling. Um, and then I think number two I realized was here in, in, in Australia, we've got a lot of small to medium-sized businesses with small to medium-sized budgets. Um, and so when working with these organizations, maybe you can't um, hire out a 50-foot camera crane and bring on some A-list celebrity actors for the commercial because the budget simply isn't there. Um, so I guess it's looking at how can you, like ultimately, yeah, um, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, but yeah, when, when using video for marketing, it's like what message are you trying to bring across to your audience and what, what's going to be valuable um, for them? And so I think starting this podcast series, I think, um, you know, one of the biggest things I I kept at the forefront of my mind was um, for this podcast to be a success, it needs I need to have consistency. And anything that gets in the way of consistency is going to kill the podcast, basically. And things that destroy consistency or kill that consistency is um, having too much production value. So actually, when I started the podcast series, um, this was a month or two before COVID hit, before lockdown. And so I'd actually planned to do this podcast series um, and and as you're probably aware, like I, I have the vi- the visual, the video as going along with the audio as well. So I actually hired out cameras and microphones and lighting and everything. I, I hired out all this gear and I flew 10 oh. hours away from where, where I am here in Brisbane to Sydney. I flew to Sydney to sit down in person with my first two guests. Um, instead of just flicking on Zoom and having a conversation over Zoom, I would show up to the organization, find the boardroom where we were going to have the interview, set up the lighting, the sound, um, the cameras, everything involved. Um, it was just such a big lengthy process. I'd get the, I get to the end of one day and an absolute maximum (laughs) would only have two episodes to show for it. Um, and, and I, and I was thinking about it. I was like, this is so much effort. I actually don't think I can keep this up. I think this is killing the consistency. Um, and so before I even released episode number one, the, the uh, COVID hit, the lockdown happened, and I was kind of stuck there thinking, well, how am I going to continue this podcast that I haven't even released an episode of yet? Um, and I was like, let's do it over Zoom. And, and I quickly realized that, hey, I can, you know, uh, not that I've done this, but if I wanted to, I could schedule 10, 10 45-minute episodes back-to-back in one day and have 10 episodes at the end of a day. So, so, so not that I've done that, but the, the point is, is consistency is key and I just needed to make the whole process as simple as possible so that I could continue to, to deliver value to my mm. audience. Um, and the other thing is it opens up is I'm no longer restricted to people in, in my town, in my city, or people I can fly to. I can interview people all over the world. So as you were mentioning before we got started today, I've, I've interviewed Will Vanderalst. I've interviewed Hayo Regis. I've interviewed Paul Harmon and Roger Burton and Alex Sharp. I've interviewed all of these people from from many different countries around the world. Um, And it's just meant that the podcast is very easy to produce and therefore consistency is is so easy and and therefore it's going well. So, Yeah. And I guess at the end of the day, it's not about how much lighting you have. It's about the content that you're generating, the interesting guests you have and the things you're saying that really drive the value of the podcast and not how fancy your lights are. So, exactly. Um, 
So um, apart from that, what else did you what else did you learn from like the start of the first podcast to your 80th episode? What are some of the biggest things that you've learned from doing this? Um, about producing a podcast series or about <laughs> business process management? Uh, producing a podcast series. <laughs> Produce podcast series, yeah. Um, okay, I think like, yeah, obviously um, consistency is a huge one. Um, I think that, um, get, um, you know, what's the point in creating a podcast if no one sees it? Um, so figuring out ways, how can I generate interest around the, the podcast? How can I get it in front of more people that might be interested? And, and it's an ongoing journey of learning how to do that. I, I certainly encourage my guests that I interview to share it amongst their network um, because those are the people that are most likely going to engage with that content, enjoy, learn from it. Um, until until the podcast series series is you know hundreds of episodes and and it's it's really popular um, you know we're still trying to um, gather tra- traction here um, but I think being very clear with um, I guess what I developed over over time was a list of seven questions that formed my backbone of each interview um, but what what happened was when I was having these conversations. Uh, new questions would come to my mind. So as we were talking and as they were, as they were responding, I would be asking new questions that I hadn't even written down. Um, so I guess being being able to be flexible with that, um, and also I guess I, one thing I did implement halfway through was you know it's good to have those seven um, questions as a as a backbone, but also understanding from my guest. What is it about the topic of business process management that um, fascinates you right now? Um, because I want this, I don't want to ask you a question um, that goes nowhere. I want to make sure this, this conversation is entirely um, catered and tailored towards you and what you want to talk about. So we've had people on the show that uh, have an, a fascination in process mining. So we'll dive into process mining. We've had People come from the customer experience world and they'll talk about customer journeys. We'll dive into, into that. Um, we see that as a process as well, the process that the customer takes. Um, it, we, we've talked to people that are more heavily focused in change management. So how do you deal with people when roles and positions and jobs and tasks are changing? Um, and so we'll tailor the, the conversation towards what their area of expertise is. Um, so, so, so those are a few things that we've picked up along mm-hmm. the way. But always learning, always adapting. Uh, my, my conversation with Will Vanderolst, actually, that was a, a little bit of a unique one because I threw out all of my questions. Um, the week leading up to that interview, I put out on LinkedIn, hey, everyone, I'm interviewing Will Vanderolst. What do you want me to ask him? Um, and so I, I put it out to our audience um, so that they could gather together questions um, and, and I actually just spent the whole conversation with Will um, asking the audience's questions. And I think moving into the future, I would like to incorporate more audience engagement. So whether we do our live podcasts or things like that, where the audience can actually listen to it live and, and submit questions, I think that that's kind of the direction that I'd love to see it head in. Uh, while you're actually talking to these people, and I think for uh, the, the, the usual business people who don't have such a strong voice outside of their organization, maybe Uh, so it's pretty interesting to to bring them and put some uh, light, uh, put them into the light, uh, which is which is awesome. 
Are you noticing uh, that there is some commonality among the guests speaking in the business processes and maybe some some trends toward uh, the future? Where are we really? Where are we really right now? And where are we heading? Yeah, I think that in terms of trends and what I've been noticing, there there are a few key trends that come up in each of the conversations. I will say that depending on their background, um, what they're noticing or, or what they would encourage other other BPM practitioners to do may vary slightly. So, um, you know, some because some, I'm interviewing academics, I'm interviewing consultants, I'm interviewing people that are working internally at an organisation. And I guess really depending on where their where their BPM experience is at or their maturity level is at um, will play into where they where they think BPM is heading or where they would encourage um, encourage people to invest their time effort and energy. Um, so some people have a real focus on get the foundations right um, before mm. you dive at technology. Before you look into this, before you look into that, um, do you have a BPM, a, a, a culture that fosters a business process management mindset? Do people even understand that, that the tasks they're performing are actually a process? Um, are there process Is there process ownership in the organisation? So is there someone that has stuck up their hand and, will say, and is saying, I take responsibility for this process if, it's, if it goes really well? Um, then yes, I, I take responsibility. If it goes poorly, I take responsibility. Do you have process ownership? Um, do you have buy-in from senior leadership? And I think this is one where I, I, you know, I could get people on two sides of the coin with that one. Um, some people are like a hundred percent. You can't do anything without senior leadership in um, sponsorship. You can't do it without the the um, sponsorship from a C-level executive. Um, we, we simply don't have the resources, the budget, the time. We don't have anything if we don't have sponsorship from them. And then, and then on the other side of the coin, I'll have some people that are like, well, until you get that sponsorship, they, they, uh, you need to prove value. So start small, start on a small project, start adopting something on a small level, on a small scale, prove that value. And, and I've heard countless stories of, of um, a team that will adopt business process management They'll, they'll get a small win, a small, quick, easy win that delivers value. And then the, um, another project will notice, wow, that, like you guys did so well with that, that project you were on. Um, what did you guys do? How did you guys approach that project? Um, oh, we, we were adopting business process management. We, understood, we had transparency around what we were doing. We were able to improve and optimize what we were doing. So then it spreads to another a project team. And then the, the wider business unit notices, the wider department will take notice. And then when this de- when a, a department is being fully transformed by the power of business process management, then you can you, you can be pretty confident that the C- senior leadership or your C-level executives are going to be like, wow, why is that, that department outperforming every other area? Um, and then before you know it, it's spread across the organisation as, it, as long as it's bringing value. And that probably brings on to another, another thing that um, another major point is that traditionally um, there's been a lot of process mapping, a lot of a lot of documenting processes, but without a clear why, without a clear why are we doing this, without a clear purpose, um, without a clear end goal. 
Um, and so organizations will spend two years, three years mapping out all the processes. They'll get to the end of that time and those processes will just sit there collecting dust. And, um, and, and it's no wonder why there's senior leadership out there that, that looks at BPM and um, questions the value of it. Because we did that a few, we did that a couple of years ago. We've already done process mapping and it didn't deliver any value. But I would say that there was no real purpose. There was no, no real driver behind it. Um, you just documented processes for the sake of documenting. Um, but where was the ongoing improvement? Where was the ongoing optimization? Where was the, where was the, automi- or the automation? Um, where was beyond just that documentation step? Um, and so I think that that's a, another huge key is when, when doing BPM, um, what's your why? Why are you doing this? Um, and, and I think that's going to help you um, see the big picture um, so that it, it doesn't just sit there, collect dust, but it actually gets used and actually delivers value to the organization. Um, that's an interesting thought. What do you, what are your thoughts on once, um, the C-level management, uh, actually delivers the sponsorship and, uh, the difference between that and it coming from the users themselves, is there a difference between the responsibility of these processes and the purpose of these processes when it comes from those two different directions? Yeah, good, good question. I think, um, I think if it has been, a like if the idea or the concepts being adopted from the top down, um, I think it's it is much easier to um, uh, to ramp things up qu- quicker. Um, like you get resourcing, you get budget. Uh, I mean, as as GB Tech, we work with organisations to adopt um, a business process management suite of you know different products, and. Um, and so we, we work with some organizations that right from the start, they're, you know, they're, 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 um, they've like, um, they've flicked the switch in terms of, you know, we're, we're going to be doing BPM. We're ramping up a center of process excellence. We're getting everybody behind this. Um, and, and so I've seen incredibly quick results. Um, by having so much support behind it, but then there's also huge expectations. So, you know, if, if you're going to ramp up quickly, you're going to be, you're going to have your C-level executives being like, okay, wh- where's the results? Um, where's the value? Like we need to see uh, what this is, is um, with the value that this is proving. So I guess there's pressure there. I guess coming from the, from the bottom-up approach, um, and, and this tends to be when there isn't a center of process excellence, um, maybe you're the, I mean, I've heard stories where in a company of 4,000 people, there's one person that's been tasked to look at and manage the organization's processes. Um, they clearly are very immature when it comes to process management um, and they don't value it. And so this person's kind of like, what the heck do I do? Like, where do I begin? Like, I'm one person. What, what, where do I even start? Um, and so sure. I think for that person, starting on a small scale, um, just finding one process that you can improve and make better um, and deliver value. Um, it, it is a slower process, um, but it is a process of building momentum, proving it on a small scale, then a little bit bigger, then a little bit bigger. Um, so, so there is two different approaches there, um, and and I've seen both. Um, I think, I think um, 
is one right or wrong? Is one better than the other? I think it totally depends on the organisation and um, and the sponsorship that you have. But but whether you've got sponsorship or not, don't let that stop you from making a start. Right. Uh, before you even like get there and start adopting uh, the business process or start working on that with your organization, whether it's uh, bottom up or uh, top down, uh, it's kind of probably even your job uh, to introduce this BPM to the people and be it through your daily job, daily tasks at what you're doing with your company or through your channel, through your podcast. And If I'm completely honest, this uh, business processes and BI in general, to me, uh, it sounds very boring. It, it's not this, uh, you know, uh, everybody wants to work for Google, everybody wants to work for Tesla. And uh, nobody wants to work in a BI company because uh, you always see those very boring buzzwords like smart, predictive, fast, intuitive, data-driven. And I could go on if you just open... <laughs> Uh, any homepage of any business process company or process mining company, us included, obviously, you just see this <laughs> huge list of buzzwords and you're thinking, okay, but what is it actually doing? <laughs> right, right, so right. how do you even go there from, from, okay, so we have amazing product, we can really help you with uh, getting to the point where you can actually obtain the value from what you're doing. Uh, and how do you motivate the people into doing it in the first place? Yeah, good question. And I think um, a big part of that is uh, speaking their language um, to whoever you're speaking to. So if you're speaking um, with senior leadership, you've got to understand what motivates them, what keeps them up at night. That's probably a line that I that comes up in every second episode um, when I'm interviewing people on, on Process Pioneers is what keeps them up at night. Um, and you've really got to understand like what, what is it What is it that they are so concerned about? Um, what are the, what are the, the, the pain points um, that they need a solution for? Um, because everyone everyone is in an organization is or at least should be responsible for some area for something. Um, so that's what they're concerned about. And um, and how is business process management? How can that be? a solution to what they're going through. And so you really need to speak their language. Like, um, you know, senior leadership, they don't care about modeling languages or notations or um, circles or boxes or anything like that. What they care about is, you know, customer, like it, it, are, are our cust uh, is our customer base growing? Are we delivering an incredible experience? Uh, is our market share growing? Um, do we have um, successful, fruitful partnerships and relationships with other organizations? Um, do we have a low turnover? Are, do our employees actually love working here? Um, and so there are all these different things depending on who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. But but on the other end, if you're talking to someone that's a process participant or a process performer, like someone that's Um, at the coal face, so to speak. Um, so they're like the ones actually doing the work. Um, what what keeps them up at night or, or what what are they doing throughout their day um, that might be a pain or a problem for them? And how can business process management be a solution for them? Um, for, for example, if you know that I feel like everyone's got part of their part of their job um, 
part of everyone's job that they're doing right now, they would prefer they didn't have to do. So you need to find out what part of their job don't they want to to do um, and is there a way that we can uh, simplify that part for them or completely take it off their hands altogether. Um, and so I think, you know, it comes back to having transparency across the organisation. Well, how many people are doing this task? Can we consolidate this role? Um, do we even need this step in the in the process? Um, how can we radically transform this process um, so that it's, it's that much better? Um, and I think a big part of that is, you know, speaking, la- speaking their language. Um, how do you speak their language? You've got to learn their language. How do you how do you learn someone's language? You've got to ask some questions. You've got to find out. Well, what is the language they're using? What do they care about? Um, and you know, we, we've seen startup companies over the last 10, 15 years disrupt entire industries yeah. because they took the time to understand. Well, what does the end consumer want? What is their pain? What is their problem? Like when Airbnb got started, um, the pain of the end consumer was that. There wasn't enough um, beds in San Francisco or Seattle or wherever it was. There, there weren't enough beds in that city um, at that time because of, uh, I can't remember the exact story, but um, we're going to provide a space for people to sleep. Um, that's not in your traditional hotels or accommodation. And so, so that's how that... So what does a typical BPM uh, consumer want? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess... As in like the process participants, like those that are carrying out the work, I think finding out what, what are those tedious, repetitive tasks that they want, to, they want taken off their plate? What are they doing right now um, that they don't particularly enjoy doing? Uh, we're seeing technology like robotic process automation that's able to do those manual, repetitive, tedious tasks that no one wants to do And, and so if you've been doing that for five years, 10 years, 20 years, and you've got a robot that can now do that for you, freeing up your time to do something that's more creative, more inspiring, more constructive, like, you, like how much more are you going to enjoy going into work when you don't just have to do the same repetitive tasks over and over again? So it's different for every individual, but I think, you know, it is like understanding what language they're speaking and that starts with asking questions ask question 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 like what 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 don't you like about your job at the moment what do you find frustrating what's tedious what's repetitive at the moment um even putting the ball in their court being like if your job could change in any way what would change do you think there's do you think there's a better way that this process could be done you're the one that's doing this job every single day how do you think it should be um improved so asking questions. Is it always the case that um, everybody has a good answer to these questions? And how do you deal with uh, when you don't get the right answers or the informative answers to the questions you, you're asking? Good question and, and probably one that I don't have a lot of experience in, um, I would say. But I think that, I mean, I, I actually had an interview earlier today um, for Process Pioneers and, and um There's something that they were saying, they were talking, which um, just triggered me. It just triggered me then. So I'll just try and remember it. But he was um, he was trying to bring a a team of people, uh, like bring them on board. Like he knew that changes need to be made. 
He knew that there were going to be some changes that needed to be made that um, people would be resistant towards because it would be unfamiliar, it would be maybe slightly uncomfortable, it's it's a changing of their habit. But he also knew that there were some improvements that needed to be made that um, would actually make their time at work uh, stress-free and more enjoyable. And so he saw all of these improvements that needed to be made. So he started with the ones that he knew um, these people would, um, there would be the most value in uh, in it for this person. Some of these other changes actually might have provided more value to the organisation overall, but they are dependent on the person that needs to perform them. So let's get this person or this team of people on, on board first for the improvements, for the changes, it was actually for a um, a, a bus company or something, and um, and he, uh, the guy, the this person I was interviewing, he said, "I became the hero of the bus drivers because I made their <laughs> life that much easier by improving the process. Um, they loved me, and then every every future improvement or change I needed to make." even if it made their lives a little bit harder, they were so on board with because of that original like improvement and, and how much I helped them originally. Not to steal the thunder uh, from your episode, from your future episode, what, uh, could, you, could you say what, what exactly was it that helped a bus driver company uh, to improve their process? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what was it? Um, <laughs> I think it was... I think it was something like um, something to do with like waiting times, I you know, see. depending on the time of depending on the time of year, whether it was like in in summer and it would be very hot, or in winter and it was very cold. Um, the longer these these bus drivers had to wait at the depot, mm. um, the more uncomfortable it is. So if we can improve and speed up that process. Um, they're going to be waiting around less for, for less time, um, getting on with driving the buses um, and basically minimizing or reducing uh, the part of their job that they like the least. Um, so I think in a nutshell, that's really what it was. This, this is awesome uh, because also just thinking about the projects I'm personally working on, we don't put a, enough of an effort on actual people needs. So we, you know, in process mining, we, a lot of the times we look at the throughput times, we look at the bottlenecks, we look at the actual value of money behind the processes, but not enough at the people. So very interesting metrics to, to measure. Uh, but uh, moving on uh, to the business process management itself, how can a BPM tool help organization transform their processes, like uh, technically speaking, really? Yeah, I think, um, as I mentioned earlier, I would say, I mean, I would start with transparency, I think is a huge, a huge one. Um, with, as I said, with the, um, with the golf analogy or example, like my, um, my mate, my friend, um, my, my coach, if you wanted to call him that, um, he, he, simply couldn't offer me any suggestions or improvements until he saw um, what he was working with. Um, And so I think with organizations, until you have transparency in what's actually going on um, in these processes, how how can you make any improvements? Because it's not not just about what's going on in this part of the process. 
Um, cause you might, you might dive into a business and be like, oh yeah, I can see the problem with this pro like this part of the process. We just need to change something here and here and here. And, and now we've got an optimized process, but do you actually know what's happening upstream or downstream from that process? Um, if you make changes here, is that going to affect people or impact people, um, upstream or downstream? Is it going to, going to make their job harder as well? So when you're going about process optimization and process improvement, you need to understand fully end to end what's actually going on here. And when I do make changes, we don't want to, um, make one area of the business um, supremely optimized and then every other area of the business is struggling and flailing because they're trying to manage all of this excess workload. It needs to be a sort of harmonious um, a continuity across the organization, uh, a, a continuous improvement. Um, and so I think, yeah, having that transparency is key. I think uh, process ownership, so that you know you you can't manage what you what you don't measure. Um, and so, if you're able to measure and track your processes, then you're able to manage them. And so, and that empowers process owners to be able to see what's actually going on, so they know what should be happening. Um, they can coach their team, guide their team, make sure that people are actually following the process, um, because sometimes. Um, if a process isn't followed well, that could be that could be the difference between life or death. Um, in other cases, it's not so severe or significant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know processes are important. And and I've again I've heard a number of stories where um, there was one relating in one of my podcast episodes relating to NASA where they had documented their processes. Their process um, was well-documented and and clearly um, defined, but the people following the process um, took a few shortcuts. Um, They didn't follow the process as it was documented, and I'm not sure whether it it, it resulted in loss of life um, or maybe it was just the loss of a rocket ship or something like that, Um, but I know that, you know, it, it... if if your process owners um, don't understand what what needs to be what, what needs to happen, if you don't have correct process governance in place, so how are you governing your processes? Is what is what met, what's meant to be happening actually happening? Um, then there's going to be a lot of um, risk there. So it's not just for improvement and optimization, but also for risk management. Um, so your, your processes sometimes, if they're not followed correctly, could result in significant risk to the organization, significant risk to individuals. Um, And so being able to understand the risks associated to your process and then also your controls. So how are you going to manage those risks when they do arise? Then, you know, there's a lot of value there, um, so much more than just what I've talked about. Um, That's that's so interesting because I actually, my next question was going to be, once you've modeled the process and you say, well, I have the context of the whole process from upstream and downstream, now, how do I get people to actually follow this? Uh, you talked about um, process governance. Is there a person that is just watching you back and whipping you every time that you do something wrong? Or how, how does that <laughs> process work? Um, I think um, emp- em- empowering your team is huge. I think, you know, if, if, you're, if you have the fear that someone's looking over your shoulder and micromanaging you, um, you're not going to perform at your best. Um, you're not going to do your best work. I think you do your best work 
when you feel empowered, um, where you, when you take ownership of the process, when you really value it. Um, and I think there's a number of different ways that, you know, you, you can foster that um, empowerment. I think one way is um, for BPM specialists or BPM process managers in the organisation to really involve your team. So involve them, un- understand, well, what's not working in your process what do you think needs to change or improve in your process? Because if, if they're the ones that make the suggestions for the process improvement and they're the ones and, and then you you implement their suggestions, how much ownership are they going to have where they, they really feel like, hey, I rock up to work every day. Um, I can bring my tables and thoughts and suggestions to the table. These suggestions, not not always, but sometimes they'll get adopted and implemented Um and I can really like bring as a creative individual, because we're all creative individuals, I can I can bring my best to this organization and see it make a real difference. So I think um key a key part is is empowering people um so that they they want to follow the process. Uh they want to do it well. I think another way for like obviously analysis and reporting is having KPIs associated with um, the process. So what, what should the performance of this process be? Um, how are we tracking this? Are we hitting our figures, our targets? Are we, are we uh, performing at the, the level that we're hoping to be performing at? Um, and so I think having, having clear defined targets for people um, around the processes that enables them to, um, you know, do what needs to be done to um, execute that process. Um, I have a question because you spoke about um, the enjoyment of people going into work and actually doing the the steps and business process modeling, like taking the the monotonous tasks off their hands and things like that. So when you model a process, is there ever some sort of resistance to the new way of working where they say, nope, this is absolutely not, not happening. I'm unhappy with this and I'm not going to do it. Is that a failure of the business modeling itself or a failure of the people to actually get on board with the process? Um, I would say it's a, a failure of bringing those people on, on board to the process um, more, more times than not. Um, I mean, I would say that how a process is modelled, um, like there needs to be continuity across all of the processes that are documented. Um, there, there are plenty of organisations that have really messy processes and, and in a, every process diagram is using slightly different language, slightly different wording, slightly different objects and symbols and they, they look slightly different. Um, so when it comes to a technical level, there needs to be that uniformity. Um, but I, I would say more times than not, not it's, um, you know, working with people that are resistant to that change. Um, you know, you want people that to be on, to be on board for that change. You, you want them to um, be inspired by this change. Um, I think if you've got someone that is really on board, even if even if you've got a messy process or a messy diagram, you've got people to work with. If you've got a, a clean cut, perfect looking process diagram um, that has been documented, it is optimized. It is it is improved. It is the ultimate process. But you've got people that are resistant to change, and you know they're going to be looking for how can I take some shortcuts? How I don't like that part of the process. How can I skip that part? Um, maybe there's no KPIs, or or like they're not performing as they should be. 
Um, but I think at the end of the day, organizations run because of people. And so, you know, you need to have people that feel inspired, that feel empowered, that are on board with what needs to be done. All of the technical stuff, all of the technology, that's just to support and complement um, what what should be the main um, emphasis or focus is is the people, your work, your workforce. So it's really, it really comes down to the mindset rather than the tools itself, as the tool is really just a mean to to deliver what you are trying to to achieve. You know, very interesting. A hundred percent, yeah. Uh, if you had to draw, let's say, a five step plan for an organization that wants to improve its processes, wants to work on that, wants to really uh, achieve or strive for that value, uh, and go from essentially zero to hero, what would it be? <laughs> That's a good question. Big question. Um, Five-step plan. I mean, know what well, you're knowing, uh, having to talk to so many people now, you you know, I think this is, you are the right person to ask right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think um, I think the key would be you need to understand where, like what your baseline or what your starting point is. So do you, do you have sponsorship or buy-in? Like you might have a senior leader, you might have someone in the executive team that, that they've just maybe two years, three years prior, they came across from an organization that was very process-centric, very process-driven. Um, and so you need to understand who else in my organization thinks the same way as me. Who else um, understands the value of managing your business processes, and and um, and I would say that's probably a, a good step one um, because if you have the other people that think the same way and understand the value, you can encourage each other. You can have conversation even if you're not in the same team, even if you're in different departments or business areas. You can catch up and have those conversations, encourage each other, like each other that hey, this is something that's valuable and important. How can we? Um, introduce process management to our organization. Um, and so I think finding the people that are on the same page as you is vital and, and is key because it's going to be very hard if you're just a, a one person, a solo, an yep. individual in there trying to um, gather momentum. You need, you need people. You need a team of people. Um, and so I think, you know, not just looking at your peers, but looking at your, you know, the senior leadership and the executive level as well. If you can get some, some of their time, um, finding out like what, what is their experience of process management? You might find someone that, um, you, you might find that one of your, uh, senior leaders has come from an organization where they did spend three years mapping out processes and there was no value delivered to the organization because there was no there was no purpose or there was no why behind it you need to understand that because if you don't understand that you're going to come up against that hurdle at some point or another and so you might as well find out now okay what is their perception of, of process management have they had a good experience in the past have they had a bad experience therefore that that's going to slightly change your approach and how to bring them on board um, once once you've done that step I think um, Next is to identify, uh, and, and I guess this heavily depends on step one, because if in step one, if you, if you get sponsorship from your senior leadership, um, and they're like, yes, we've been wanting to do this. Um, here's a, a new position for you. You are now the, um, the center of process excellence, um, 
manager or the head of Center of Process Excellence, here's your here's your budget, here's your resources, here's your people. Um, you know, then then you're going to find it much easier to to get started. But if you don't have that support, then step two, um, you need to um, find where you can start small. Start on a small mm-hmm. s- small level, um, and don't even use the words process management. Don't use the words BPM. Don't use any of the these sort of this language because you don't know what, again, it, it kind of ties into point one, but you don't know how that's going to trigger somebody. If, if you start a conversation by, by talking about how we need to, we need to look at ways that we can implement process management, your manager, that might trigger him because he, he's just come out of another organization where it failed or it didn't do well. Um, he's going to be totally shut off to any anything else that you're going to say. So don't use, I guess, think about your language, think about the words that you want to use. I would stick, stick clear of that and understand, um, as I was saying earlier, um, what if, you, if, you, if you're looking at improving something on a small scale, you've got to understand the why. Like what's our objective here? What's our outcome? Um, and 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 what's possible? Uh, can we improve? Um, like what's going on? Can we can we uh, make this better for the the people doing the work? Um, so I think step two, um, once you've step one, you've understood like the um, what is the consensus or what is the the perception of process management. Step two is is understanding. Okay, who who has a problem that needs solving and you need to find that problem to be solved um, there might be a problem on the other side of the organization that if you solve that problem will will reap significant value but it may be too hard for you to get there um, and so you need to start where you're at with the people that you're in front of what processes are you working on um, what are the processes that you yourself are following can you improve your own process and and the tasks the sequence of tasks that you're following is is that possible for you to begin small and to start there but but um understand where are the pain points in the organization and then that's step two understanding the pain points three once you've understood those pain points um then defining okay what's the best one for us to start with um when you pick pick one and focus on one um, don't spread yourself too thin. You don't want to get to the end of six months and you have um, started working on 12 different processes. You want to get to the end of one month and and have have achieved significant value in a very small area um, because that that small win there, um, as long as it it has improved um, or is giving additional value to the organization, then you look for the next one. You look for the next one. And for anyone who solves problems on a regular basis knows if you're solving problems, um, you're going to quickly find that you're going to have more problems thrown at you. Um, And so if you're the one that's creatively thinking of ways to to solve these problems by improving the processes, um, then you're going to have your manager, you're going to have other teams, you're going to have people coming to you to being like, Hey, like you, 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 you're um, solving all of these problems. We've got some problems for you to solve now. Um, and before you know it, you're going to have all of this attention um, because you're bringing significant value. And and 
if you still haven't got that buy-in from senior leadership, then who else has a similar mindset, has a similar thinking that you can multiply your work, you can multiply mm-hmm. what you're doing, you can bring people on board and start, a, I guess, a mini movement inside of your organisation that is thinking, thinking along this sort of process-centric way of thinking or this process-centric approach. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, I'm, I forget what step I'm up to. I know I haven't done all five, but, but those are a few things that almost I, I, there. I, I, I would be, <laughs> those are a few things I, I would begin yeah. with. Um, and, and, and then again, I think, I think it's different for every organization. So every organization is going to come up against different obstacles. You're going to face different people that, um, will, present different hurdles. You'll, ha- you'll have some people that are like, but I don't have time to do this. I don't have, um, I don't have the headspace to do that. I'm familiar with doing it this yeah. way. Why do I need to change? So you're going, you're going to face this in, in one way or yeah. another. Um, but yeah, there, there's a, I guess there, there are a few points, probably not five points, but I'm sure as we keep talking more, yeah. more ideas will come to my mind. Uh, Daniel, you absolutely left me speechless uh, because like these <laughs> points and these uh, insights are really eyes opening, and I am myself right now thinking, what can we as an implementation partner or as a consulting company can do already better? How can we structure our work better so that eventually we end up uh, giving even more value to our customers than what we do now? So this is this has been really really great. Before we wrap up the episode. Uh, Where can people go learn more about you, about your content, and uh, you know, eventually even get in touch with you? Yeah, I think I'm I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, that it, that's where I, I post all of um, my podcast episodes. I mean, my Process Pioneers. It's it's on all of the different um, audio platforms. We're on 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 Apple Podcasts and and iTunes, and which I think is the same thing. Spotify, Google Podcasts, like all the different platforms. I also put the episodes on YouTube mm-hmm. um, because it, we have a video that mm-hmm. goes along, like you can see us having the conversation. Um, and then I post all of that on LinkedIn as well. But I'm very active on LinkedIn. I like connecting with people. I, I like asking questions. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my conversations, I'm just in LinkedIn is question after question after question because I'm a big believer in, um, you know, if you're if you're doing the talking, Um, generally you're not learning very much. Um, sometimes you are, I think when you, when you do have the opportunity to talk, you, it really makes you think through what you're talking about. Like, do I actually, actually believe in what I'm talking? But when you're asking questions, that's when you're learning and you're gleaning from other people that have di- different experiences yeah. and different perceptions and, and ideas to you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn, LinkedIn's definitely the best way to find me. Yeah, Daniel, I'm very much getting that sense because I've done very little talking. So that's kudos to you. I'm learning a lot just from talking to you. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, Daniel, I really want to thank you. Uh, this was an amazing episode with you, listening to your experience, to what you've been through, and to even be able to put these thoughts into into sentences is uh, is, is massive. Uh, So thank you once again uh, for all of you listeners out there. Uh, I hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as uh, myself and Patrick did. Uh, you can find us on also on LinkedIn. Uh, we are uh, a bit less active than Daniel over here, but we are trying hard <laughs> to get to that point. Uh, and Daniel, I hope we can uh, you know repeat this in another 80 episodes of yours and see where you moved on from from that point. <laughs> so thank you very much again for for coming to the show. 
if you have any questions, if you want to get in touch, have some recommendation on the guests, just uh, hit us on mindingyourbusinesspodcast at gmail.com. And as usual, we will be looking forward uh, to uh, next episode in, in two weeks. So thank you for listening. Daniel, Patrick, uh, bye-bye. Thank you, Daniel. Perfect. That's amazing. Thanks, guys. Loved it.